as we lift our voices in praise to God together as his children.
tempest is golden, like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain, beyond the horizon, with mercy for today. Faithful you have been, faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. You father the orphan, your kindness may you shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes. You will have your bride, free of all her guilt, rid of all her shame. Your praise will ever be on 
Father, we've come to praise you today because of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ and all that you promised to do. We pray that our worship will be pleasing to you because we worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our being. Thank you for being with us today. And we pray that we will be aware of your presence as we worship together. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. What a joy to come together and worship today. Glad that you're here. And uh, we especially welcome those of you who may be guests this morning and uh, pray that you will uh, feel a sense of the Lord's Spirit with us. There are a few things that I want to to highlight for you. Uh, First of all, thanks to uh, everyone who uh, put on the extravaganza yesterday. It was a lot of fun, a good crowd of people, and just, just a good time together, a lot of uh, interactions and I appreciate all of that. Uh, Rachel Blue, particularly, who was the point person for putting all that together, but I know she would be the first to say she had lots of help. So thank you to everyone uh, for part of that, and hope that it was a, a good day, a uh, good day, a time of fun together. Uh, you'll notice a couple of inserts in your bulletin. Uh, one of them is about a family event night coming up a week and a half from now on the second of November. And uh, this is a time where we're going to get together and uh, pack Operation Christmas Child boxes. And so it's for the whole family. It's for everyone, whether you have little children or not. It doesn't matter age or whatever connection. It's just a time to be together and to put together the boxes. I did want to mention that um, the boxes uh, cost $7 to send and things. So if you aren't able to come or if uh, you're not doing a box, if you want to donate some funds to help cover those costs, that would be appreciated. You can just mark that or make sure on an envelope or something to make sure that that gets to us and, and we uh, understand that that's what the gift is for. We are one week away from starting our eighth uh, three-week 24-7 prayer vigil. Uh, you probably saw signs as you came in this morning. There's an insert in your bulletin about this as well. And this is uh, an event that has been really instrumental in the life of our church, and we would love to see you involved. Uh, you can uh, we sign up for an hour uh, at a time in the prayer room. You can sign up for more than that if you want, but, but uh, sign up for an hour. And um, you can sign up this morning either in the back foyer, in the community room foyer, or anytime. Uh, you can use your mobile device, uh, smartphone, whatever, to sign up. I, just, I was working with this yesterday, and I noticed that it's a little bit hard on that device to tell which times are open and which are not. So pick a time, and if it comes up red and says so there's some mistake and that's not available, then you know that time is taken. Uh, sorry about that confusion, but uh, this is the calendar we're working with. So then just pick another time. But if you have any questions or something isn't going right for you when you're trying to sign up, just let us know. Give us a call. Send us a note, and we will make sure that happens. Uh, but as I said, you can sign up today. And uh, we hope that this will be uh, just a, a great time uh, to uh, join together in our prayers of 500 plus hours 
of praying together. And the prayer room has been uh, prepared. I'll be a, show you a few pictures a little bit later. But uh, just um, I hope that this is something that you want to be involved in, if you can, possibly. One of the uh, great joys that we have as a congregation is to welcome new children into our family of faith and then to dedicate them to God. And this morning we have the privilege of doing this again. Michael and Emily, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that she would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that your daughter would learn early the things of God and that her life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of her life that she might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. name have you given your child? Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane Spadeholtz, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, we dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I always like to mention when we dedicate our children to God, this is bringing together this threefold uh, covenant that uh, is surrounding these little ones. And this morning, uh, we know that God is the base of that covenant. He is eternally faithful to her, and nothing will ever change that. And Michael and Emily have expressed their desire through the grace of God to, to fulfill one side of that triangle and to do everything in their power to be the kind of parents. And I know their family would affirm this, to do everything in their power to help her know Christ and to live in the grace of Christ. We also have a responsibility as a church. And uh, that responsibility will come out perhaps in structured ways. Maybe you're teaching a class or working in the nursery or leading a youth part, working in youth ministry. But often it's just through those serendipitous moments that uh, children, we interact with children and uh, they see Christ in us. And so I want to invite you to stand and to affirm our commitment as a church to Sarah. As the Church of Jesus Christ, 
Will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Sarah grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of children. This morning, we thank you for Sarah, for her life, for everything about her. She is a gift from you. Father, we pray that she will always know the depths of your love for her. As she grows and gets older, may may that truth and the reality of who you are become clearer and clearer to her. And may her response to that be love. May her response be faith. May her heart always be turned to you. May she live her life as a witness for you. Father, we pray that you will protect her from all of the ways in which life can hurt and harm. And ask that you would help her to trust you every day of her life. And even at this very young age, we know you're at work in her life. We pray that she will sense that. Father, we pray for Michael and Emily that you would give to them all the grace that they need as parents. To know how to nurture Sarah's faith and to to love her and care for her. Give them patience. Give them grace. Give them wisdom beyond themselves that can only come from you. That they might bear witness to who you are for their little girl. And Father, we pray for their family. We ask that you would bless them and encourage them and help them also to be a godly witness to this little girl who's so precious to them. And Father, help us as a church. It's a great responsibility to be the church. And we we so often fall short, but we pray that you would give us grace and help to be the church to Sarah that would help her to love you and to see you for who you are. Lord, we pray that you would give to us the grace that we need. Father, we dedicate this little one to you and we thank you for her life. And we pray that that she would know your love and kindness and mercy and goodness every day. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the other privileges we have as a church is to welcome new members into uh, the the fellowship of the congregation. This morning, we are welcoming uh, four new members. I'm going to ask those joining in this service to come forward. We have two in this service and two at the next. And uh, it's a great joy to, uh, to welcome them as members of the church as well. They have gone through membership class. They have, we've had many conversations. We have been here in the church, involved in the church for a while, and uh, this is sort of a a culmination of that moment. Would you guys come on over? So I'm going to ask you just a few questions that's sort of at the heart of membership for us as a church. Do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ and a desire for Christ to continue to shape you into his image? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm the core doctrines of historic Christianity and pledge yourselves to the unity of Christ in the diverse group of believers who are the Houghton Wesleyan Church? If so, answer, I do. Do you recognize your obligation to God and to the church to participate in the life of the church, 
to contribute to the support of the church and to serve the church by using your gifts and abilities as the church fulfills its mission in the world? If so, answer, I do. We want to give you uh, an opportunity to uh, just find, know a little bit more about uh, these two who are joining today. And Goody Stevenson is one of our elders, and uh, she's going to offer just a brief introduction. Good morning. It's my distinct privilege on behalf of the Board of Elders to welcome these two women into our church body, into our hospital here. Wes has referred to us as being a hospital, but we're all sinners saved by grace. And uh, I am just so pleased that these two ladies have decided to uh, cast their lot with us so that we can all grow together. Um, First, I'm going to talk about Rose Jones. And actually, Rose and... Barbara Elliott have something in common. They both come from the North Country of New York. Rose uh, came to us about 12 years ago as a college freshman in 2004 and became involved in the ministries of the church as a student when she was here. She graduated in 2008 and is now an underwriter for an insurance company in Cuba, New York. Um, And we are so pleased that she has been not only involved in our church, but in the last year she's actually taken a couple of trips to both Cuba and Tanzania uh, uh, in terms of a missions outreach, visiting missionaries and finding out more about the ministries in those countries. Uh, She has also been involved with um, the kids ministry here at church, teaching Sunday school, um, working on uh, ministries related to the college. As a matter of fact, she'll be speaking to the global missions group uh, in early November, November 9th. And so any of you who are available, I'm sure she'd be happy to have you join her as she talks to college students. Um, So welcome, Rose. Barbara is someone I've gotten to know in our, our joint experience at Wellspring Ministries, which is an outreach of the Houghton Church by virtue of many people who contribute used clothing, household goods, and so forth to the ministry, and several of us who uh, also work a little bit more closely with the ministry on Wednesdays and Fridays out in Angelica. Um, In addition to that, one of the things I told Barbara I appreciate is she's not afraid to do the grunt work. Um, You know, somebody has to clean toilets. And that's one of the things she volunteers to do at Wellspring. She also cleans the pews after services. We're a messy bunch here, you know. We leave paper and tissues and all kinds of stuff in the pews. And Barbara cleans up after us. I could go on and say she shouldn't have to because I'm an old lady. But um, that's just the way it is. Sinners saved by grace. Okay. Um, In addition to that, uh, Barbara also sets a good example for senior citizens like me, even though I don't do this, but she (laughs) works out with the senior citizens at the gym three times a week. Uh, You can see her walking all around town because she's committed to healthy living. Um, Absolute home Bible study with Paul Shea is something that um, Barbara does regularly. She also takes the Page's dog to the nursing home to give the residents up there an opportunity to interact with a cute little fuzzy animal. Um, Barbara also 
helps people out in the community, um, people who are shut in, and helps give respite to their loved ones and takes care of pets and so forth. She helps in the uh, secretarial duties of the church by cutting up inserts and preparing things that way. So both of these ladies have generously donated their time, and it takes a village, you know, if I can quote that. It takes all of us to make this church work well, and I'm so pleased to welcome them into the church family. Thank you. Thank you, Goody. Hang on just a second. second. We want to give you a chance to affirm your commitment to them, and so I'm going to ask you to stand and... um, to do just that. Do you as the church, as Houghton Wesleyan Church, welcome these sisters into our fellowship officially as members and commit yourselves to walk in love with them through discipleship and counsel, exhortation and grace, and to join our hearts and lives together in patience and gentleness and love? If so, answer, we do. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the connections that we have in the church and and the fact that we can join our hearts and our lives together. We're not perfect by any means. We have a long ways to go. But it is such a joy and a help to our faith that you have established the church as the place where we grow in you. We pray that you'd help us as the church to love one another, to care for one another, to be committed to one another. And I pray that, especially for Rose and Barbara, as uh, they have taken this step, that you would fill them with your grace and your joy. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for uniting us in Christ. May we continue to reflect the image of Christ in all that we are and all that we do. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has lavished upon each one of us. with us. Your word is living. 
moments to pray together. If you'd like to come use the altar rail, it's the place where you offer your prayers. Please come and join me. Father, it is our desire that you would show us Christ. Because we deeply want to know Christ. We want to know you. We want to open our hearts to you. We want to to experience the fullness of who you are. We thank you that you desire to work in our lives and to reveal your great love for us. Father, we, we come today in this moment of prayer 
And because of your great love, because of who you are, because of what you've done in Christ, we know that you hear us when we pray and that you're even more interested, more concerned about about our prayers even than we are ourselves. So this morning we pray for the burdens and the needs that we bring with us today. We ask for comfort in our grief. We pray that you will bring healing to all who are struggling with health concerns. For Mildred Berry and Doris Asepian, Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Laurel Buecher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bevrett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, others who may be on our hearts and our minds, bring healing to them. Father, we pray for our church. We thank you for this, this church, this body of believers. And we pray that you would help us as we care for one another and, and serve one another. And we pray especially today for our elementary Sunday school classes. Thank you for every teacher, for every helper, for every student. And we ask that you will do amazing things through these times of learning. That would your word and your truth be planted deep into the hearts of our children. Father, we pray for churches around us. Think today of the Evangelical Methodist Church in Sio and Pastor Kemp. Pour out your anointing upon this body of believers. May they be light and hope in their community and beyond. And we pray, Father, for the world beyond us, for our nation, this time when when we feel torn apart by so many, so many ways in which we divide ourselves. We pray for healing. We pray for unity. We pray, Father, for this upcoming election, the presidential election and all the other elections. And we ask, Father, that in the midst of differences of opinion, in the midst of different perspectives, that you would help us to be the church that represents you. And we pray, Father, that rather than dividing us, that we would, as a church and as a nation, look to you and find grace and hear your Spirit speaking into our lives. We pray, Father, for the the world. We think of refugees who are struggling with so much of life. And today, for the Syrian refugees, we pray. So many of the Christians who are Syrian refugees are facing very difficult circumstances, even in the refugee camps. We ask that you will protect them and help them to bear witness to the truth of who you are. We pray today for the nation of Thailand, mourning the death of their long reigning king. We pray, Father, that in this, in this time of uncertainty... We pray, Father, that your spirit would do more than we could dream or imagine. We think of the Dodies and their ministry there. For all the work of Wycliffe Bible translators, we pray, Father, that, that you would work miraculously and that there would be a smooth transition of power. And that rather than, rather than the evil one getting a foothold, that your church would t- be, stand tall for who you are and for peace. We pray your blessing upon the nation of Thailand. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Galatians, the very beginning and the very end. Excuse me, the first five verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then skipping over to chapter 6, verse Verses 11 through 18. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission, nor by a human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then flipping over to chapter 6, verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress others by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. soul arise shake off thy guilty fears the bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears before the throne my surety stands before the throne my surety stands my name is written on
Please be seated. This week I was um, saw something, a commercial of some kind, and uh, and it uh, the start of it was. Uh, we all yearn to be free. And the gist of it was that uh, the answer to our yearning for freedom was to become a follower, a member of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And that would get you freedom. I watched that commercial and I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? I'm not sure being a member of Blue Cross and Blue Shield really gets you freedom, but... It struck me once again of the longing in the human heart for freedom. That they would use that as the way of advertising being a member of their health care plan would be something that would address that need for freedom. I'm convinced that the human yearning is for freedom. And the reason for that is because God created us to be free. Look at Genesis and you see over and over again these images of God creating for freedom. And he is freedom as he, free as he creates. It's God's plan for us. And when Jesus comes and preaches the very first sermon that we have recorded in Luke chapter 4, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth and he takes the scroll from Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives and, and give sight to the blind." And to set the prisoners free. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is why I'm here. I have come to be an agent of God's freedom for you. That's what God wants for you. And that's what Paul has been saying over and over again in the letter of Galatians that we've been looking at the last few weeks. He is saying to the churches in Galatia, God wants you to be free. And when we get to the end of this letter, those last verses, in verse 11, Paul says, I'm now writing this with my own hand. That's that's not an uncommon thing you see in letters at that time in the first century. It was not unusual for someone writing a letter to dictate that letter to another person, and they would write it out. But when they got to the end, the last part of it, the, the author of the letter would take to take his own uh, pen in hand, well, they didn't use pens, but it would take it and would write it out and say, now, this is my own writing. And, and they did that for a couple of reasons. One is to add authenticity to the letter. So that everyone reading this knows everything that they have read so far, everything up to that point is exactly what the author wanted to say. No one's speaking for that person. But the second thing is to reiterate, to summarize, to bring them back to the, very, to the main point of the whole letter. And we get to the end of this, that's exactly what Paul does. We get to, he didn't say everything in the end, but he says, this is, these are the things that you need to remember. And he reminds them what he's been saying for in the first four and a half chapters of this letter... That being a follower of Christ, despite what those from the Jerusalem church are saying to them, being a follower of Christ is not following rules. They've been trying to tell the churches in Galatia, before you become a really a true Christian, before you can be a true, full-fledged follower of Jesus, you have to become a Jew first. 
And Paul is saying, no. He's been saying it over and over again. No, that is not the case. Because the, the answer to being a follower of Christ is not bondage to rules. And every human being struggles with bondage to rules. Rules we think God has made, rules that we make, rules that other people put on us. We are continually struggling with that. And Paul has been saying again and again, it's not about rules. It's not about the forms we create. It's not about the structures we create. It's not about, about the, the, uh, the formulas that we think are so important. And they may be helpful to us, but those don't make us our relationship with Christ. What ends up happening most of the time is that we worship the forms more than we worship God. And when push comes to shove, we will hang on to the forms more than we will hang on to our relationship with God. And it's a struggle for all of us. The forms may be different for all of us, but we all wrestle with that. And Paul says here in verses 12 and 13 that where does that get you? It gets you to be completely self-absorbed. He writes to them, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision, they're not following the rest of the law. They just want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. What's, who's this really about? It, they're not really interested in the Galatian Christians. They're interested in themselves. And following rules always leads to a life of self-centeredness. And the call of the gospel is the selflessness. When we follow rules, that's what's most important. When we think rules are, are what makes our relationship with God right, then what do we do? We end up judging people. We judge ourselves, we judge others. We're always asking, who's in, who's out? Who's right, who's wrong? Who's true, who's false? Who's better, who's best, who's worse? And all of our life is absorbed with how well are we following the rules Instead of, do we love Jesus? Is our heart open to Jesus? But it's not just about being self-absorbed and judging one another. Following rules also limits God. The rules are our subtle means of putting God in bondage. And we, because what we say is, the rules are most important. That means God can only work by the rules that we've created. The rules that we think are right. The rules that we think are best. And we are suspicious. We judge people who, who say they have a relationship with God outside of our rules. All it would take is for us to sit there for 30 seconds. And every one of us could think of a time when we've done that. Just this week, I did that. I debated this morning wearing uh, jeans and a t-shirt. Just to show you, the clothes don't really matter. I didn't because I read this article in Christianity Today that young people aren't aren't interested in having pastors that are hip. And so I'm okay with that. (laughs) Which, that was a big relief to me because I don't think that anyone has ever called me hip. So, we're good. But, you know, there, there is this sense of it doesn't matter. 
And for some people, that's exactly what they should do. And for other people, they should do something else. But it doesn't really matter. But we get so locked into what we think, how we think God can work and through whom God can work and the, and the means through which God can work. What are we really doing? We're saying, God, you have to get in my box. And the scriptures keep telling us over and over and over again, God will not be limited by our human boxes. It doesn't matter if it's a Wesleyan box or a Baptist box or any other kinds of boxes that we may have. Your box, my box, somebody else's box. The boxes limit God. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and one of his big concerns for them is that they are quenching, they are stifling the Holy Spirit. And he warns them, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. And he mean, there's a lot of meaning in that, but one of the meanings is don't limit God. It's a temptation we all have. And when you focus on rules, it, it's pretty hard not to limit God. And Paul is saying that is, that it, it's harming you. It's a road to destruction. You're, you're hurting other people because you're telling them that the rules are more important than Jesus, more important than the Holy Spirit, more important than any way God wants to work. And as we've been talking over these past few years, if we took time this morning to have everybody tell your story of how you have come to the place that you are today, wherever you are in your journey with Christ, I guarantee you we would have however many hundred different stories. And every one of them would be good. And every one of them would be right. Because it's God at work in us. The answer, the heart of a relationship with God is not obedience. As important as obedience is. The heart of the relationship, the focus is not obedience, it's trust. It's faith. That's why he talks about Abraham. Paul talks about Abraham throughout this letter. And he's reminding us that Abraham lived hundreds of years before there was any law. And he had one of the most intimate relationships with God we read about in Scripture. It's not about the rules, it's about faith. You go back to Genesis chapter 15. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because he followed the rules, because he was obedient? No, because of his faith. Faith leads to obedience. If you have faith, it is always going to lead to obedience. But when obedience is the focus, it doesn't always lead to faith. It usually leads to being more concerned about rules than about Jesus. And so we trust him. And Paul is writing to us to tell us all of this stuff about rules, all of that is a burden, it's a weight, it's a pack on our shoulders that God wants to remove. He wants to set us free from all of that. One of the images that we have focused on in the prayer room this year, as we talk about freedom, and there are lots of interactive things in the prayer room about freedom, but one of the images that we have focused on is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. 
And one of the things, one of the interactive things that you can do when you go into the prayer room, and I'm looking forward to doing this, is that we've got this knapsack, this backpack down there in the prayer room. And, and we have some stones, bags of stones, and you can see a little bit of a picture there over there. And we're inviting you to take those bags of stones and put them in the backpack and then put it on. At least one of the times when I go, I'm going to wear that backpack the whole hour that I'm in there. Or at least the first 50 to 55 minutes. And then at some point, you're invited to take it off. And to feel the difference. To feel the difference between walking around, carrying a backpack that weighs 10, 15, 20 pounds, whatever you put into it. And being released from it. Freedom. It's what Bunyan writes about in Pilgrim's Progress. It's what Paul is writing to us about in Galatians. It's what God desires for us. Freedom from all of that. But as Paul warns us, the issue here in in our lives is not just being released from the burden, being set free. It's also what we do with our freedom. What do we do with our freedom? Because we tend to think that if God has set us free, that means we can do anything we want to. Our freedom is ours. And in a sense, that is true. But Paul is concerned that we understand that what we do with our freedom is just as important as being set free in the first place. Because when our focus is on rules, we become self-absorbed and we become judgmental and, and we limit God. When our focus is on freedom... When that's our goal, when that's the the image that we're trying to move toward, when that's where all of our attention is, then we tend to also become, we become selfish about our freedom. And we start thinking, nobody else matters, nothing else matters, I can do whatever I want to. In chapter 4, Paul says that we have been made children of God. What an awesome thing that we have been made children of God and we can have the kind of intimacy with God to actually call him Father, Abba. And that word is is often translated Daddy, like a little child might say to their father. And I think that's a part of it, but I think it's so much more than that. It's really more about intimacy of a parent and a child. And I think Paul is saying... It's not just that that you are a child of God, but what kind of child of God are you? Because when we start off in understanding this relationship, it begins as a little child. And and sometimes it feels like we're toddlers crying out to our daddy. But that's not where we stay. As we progress in our faith with Christ, we move to be adult children of God. That's God's goal for us. That's, that's what Paul is writing to us about. That it, the intimacy of relationship with God is so much more as we get older. You think about that. You think about the relationship you have with your child. Think about Michael and Emily with Sarah here this morning. And they have an intimacy with her. And she loves them. And they love her more than she can know. But as the years progress, their goal is to become more and more intimate. And as she gets older, their conversations are going to change for the better. They're going to have deeper conversations. They're going to talk about some of the deep things of life. They're going to, she's going to understand things that today she cannot understand. But that's what we want. And as she becomes an adult, their relationship will get closer and closer in a different way. 
And that's what God wants for us. He takes us right where we are, but his goal is to keep moving us closer to him, more intimate with him, that we're maturing in him. That's why when he writes to the Corinthians, one of the things that he's troubled about with them, he says, is that I want to feed you meat. I want to give you adult food and you can't take it. All you can do is drink milk like a little child. God wants more for us than that. And when our focus is on freedom, we tend to become immature children who live our lives with avoiding responsibility. Little children feel very little responsibility for their lives, and they shouldn't. But as our children get older, we want them to take on responsibility. We want them to learn responsibility. We want them to grow and understand that, because that's a sign of maturity. And as people who have been set free, we have not been set free to be immature children who avoid responsibility. We have been set free to be people who use our freedom to love and to serve one another. And so when you get to chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, be careful about how you use your freedom. Don't use your freedom selfishly. Use your freedom to fulfill the one law that really matters, and that is love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what we do with our freedom. We realize that God has set us free so that we can use that freedom to love others, to serve others, to love God, to serve God, to be people who give away our freedom. And we all wrestle with that. We all wrestle with giving away our freedom. We want to hang on to it. We want to clutch it. And grasp it and keep it because we think being able to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it is the best way to live. Paul is telling us the best way to live is to use your freedom like Jesus. At the center of the prayer room, one of the focal points of the prayer room is a painting that uh, the, the Shea family has dug out of the archives for us that Willard Ortlip did. And in this painting... You see the hand of Christ coming down and breaking the chains. It's a powerful image. But notice the hand of Christ has a wound in it. It's scarred. Jesus, who has more freedom than anyone who has ever lived, used his freedom to love and to serve and to set us free. As one author says... I think Jesus, who calls us to be his followers, his disciples, is presuming that we will live our lives being ready to do Christ-like kinds of moments for other people, like he does for us. We use our freedom to love, to serve, to give, to share. You see, the answer to this dilemma of freedom is not to go to one extreme or to the other. The answer always comes back to Jesus. It's always, always, always about Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 6, Paul talks about the only thing he boasts about is the cross of Christ. all that really matters. And in chapter 2, verse 20, this key verse that Paul keeps bringing us back to, 
He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's always about Christ. When our focus is on either extreme, we will always end up being self-absorbed. When our focus is on Christ, then all we want is Christ. And we trust him with our freedom. It's one of the great things that we do as followers of Jesus. We have the opportunity, the privilege of trusting Christ with our freedom. And we do that because we know who he is. We believe that God is who he says he is. He is the creator of all that's good. And that God wants only what is best for us. And does that mean it will be just easy sailing? No, life will be hard. He's calling us to take up our cross and follow him. But that's really the way to life. And that's the way to freedom. As difficult as it is sometimes to see that. And it's never a waste to trust our freedom to God. And we never measure the success of trusting our freedom to God in the immediate. And our, our responsibility is not results. Our responsibility is faith. It's trust. And we let God do the rest. I mean, what Paul is really talking about here is that this kind of freedom is a foretaste of God's future. This kind of freedom is really what we are going to experience when Christ ushers in his kingdom and God sets everything to right. This is how we're going to live. We're going to live in complete, total freedom, free from the bondage of rules, free from the bondage of all the things that enslave us. And we are going to use our freedom to serve and worship God and to love God and to serve and worship one another. And to love one another. And I think Paul is saying, if that's what it's going to be like then, and that will be the most glorious existence any of us can ever imagine and beyond, then why would we not want to live that way now? And to begin to experience something of that life with Christ now. That freedom that is ours through Christ who gave himself for us. I have had a lifelong fear of heights. I mean, I'm, I, I do not like climbing four or five rungs up on a ladder. I don't like standing in tall buildings. I don't really even like standing in the balcony on the edge of that. I would not, if I was not, if I were coming here sitting in the pews, I would not sit in the front row of the balcony. Standing up, it makes my, my knees weak and it just kind of raises my blood pressure. I don't know why I have this fear, but I do. And maybe that's, and I think that may be why I was grabbed by this, I don't know, this little parable type thing that I read recently. It just grabbed me and struck me. And it went something like this. Jesus said, come over to the edge. And I said, no, 
I'm afraid. And Jesus said, come over to the edge. I said, no, I'm afraid. And Jesus said, come on, come over to the edge. And so I did. And he did exactly what I was afraid of. He pushed me. And then, together, we flew. The call of the gospel is not do these things and live. And the call of the gospel is not do whatever you want and live. The call of the gospel is to trust Jesus and find life and true freedom. Father, may it be so for all of us. We pray this through your grace. Amen. Please stand and join us. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested in my life Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began.
Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.